All right, guys, before we get started, I want to talk really quick about our sponsor, and that's Patch Chunky Shop. Uh, Patch Chunky Shop is an Etsy shop that specializes in uniquely designed patches. Their stock includes everything from military style morale patches to designs that reference popular culture. They also sell patch related stuff like patch mats and patch bags that you can stick your patches to. So if you get a chance, go to their website. It's www.patchjunkyshop.com and use the promo code Salumis for 10% off of your order. Once again, that's S-A-L-U-M-I-S-T and instantly get 10% off. Um, I want to also talk about Skype. That is who we've been using as of late to do these podcast episodes uh, because we want to exercise caution and really pay respect to the social distancing and the different types of uh, rules and regulations that are going out there right now. Uh, we chose to use Skype to hold a lot of our episodes. So Skype isn't the only platform out there that will allow you to do this kind of stuff. So if you have anything like Google Hangouts, if you have Zoom, uh, tons of other platforms out there that will allow you to connect with other people and really get whatever message that you have out there. Or if you just want to connect with any of your friends and loved ones, there's tons of platforms out there. But if you want a good example of one, Skype is what we've been using, and I highly recommend that. All right, let's get into the show. Hey, guys, welcome to another FYFT episode of the Salumas podcast. If this is your first time here, welcome. FYFT stands for find your fucking thing. It's that thing that drives you, that wakes you up. It's a thing that humbles you. And sometimes it's a thing that can actually save your life. But to get there, you have to know where you came from. So we speak in great length about being an active participant in your life or being the hero of your life story. And for the majority of us, we don't realize the importance of where we are in the story that is our life until our 20s or 30s or even later. Uh, but those realizations start with reflection, and that's what this episode's all about. So when I started this podcast, my mindset was that I didn't care if we got thousands or millions of listeners. I do what I do in hopes that something that I say can affect the life or be, be the spark that gets someone to make a change in their life, or at least get them thinking about it. And I still strongly believe in that today. That's why I tell myself when I hit record every single time. And about a week ago, we randomly got a message from a listener in Massachusetts and instantly we connected. She had questions about herself and was willing to put herself through the grinder. And Chris, Mark, and myself were more than happy to do the same and embark on a journey together that truly felt special. And quite honestly, I feel, or at least I hope, that this isn't the end of our journey together. We're joined by Dania, who actually found us by accident. While searching for fault tolerance systems, she came across an episode that I had made. And the funny thing is that she was actually thinking the same thing that I was when searching for that term. And so it just floored me thinking that someone else actually conceptualized the, this, this technological term in the same way that I did. And it was at that moment that I realized that this person thinks outside of the box. This person is special and this person is worth having on our podcast. With that in mind, it's just good to let you guys know that this is going to be a long episode. I'm sure you saw the, the time on the, on the episode description, but it's packed with ideas, questions, philosophies. And my hope is that this sparks some kind of questions and stuff in you. So without further ado, I present to you all part 10 of the FYFT series, The Setup.
Um, hey, I want to first of all thank you for reaching out. That really, really meant a lot. And I read your message to the guys, and uh, I mean, it's just that's that's awesome to be able to see that you know someone someone out there is, is catching on, and uh, you know we're we're certainly focused on growth. But whenever there's an opportunity like this to really, really hopefully make an impact that's just, that's the kind of stuff that really matters a lot to me so um i just want to thank you for for even reaching out so um let's get some introductions in here tell us about yourself this is this is cool sure no definitely it's so surreal to be talking <laughs> right now because you know i've got the idea of like kalu and chris and mark in my mind and i've got, they're kind of just like these voices in my head that are like you know what are the, what is their take on on this particular and you guys have sort of developed these characters in my mind of like what it is that you would respond like i find myself asking questions and say things like what would chris say to this what would mark say to this what would clue you know say to this That's awesome. um you know what you guys are doing is awesome so about myself i gave you a little bit of an introduction in my instagram message there yeah um so I'm 26 right now. I'm um, out of Massachusetts. Um, you know, I've got a bit of a, a like a sorted background. We're not sorted, I would say, but like, you know, a, 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 di a different background. Um, I was in foster care from like age 14 to 22. After 18, there's this like a complicated system where you can voluntarily sign in to continue on with services that sort of help you with housing and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I've got two children and primarily, I mean, the biggest thing about me, I think, it, or the, the most predominant thing that I think defines me is my real strong interest in trying to understand myself, the direction that I'm going, looking at my intentions and motivations critically. Um, that, I guess, I guess that is my introduction. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. What, what is it that, what is it that you're, that you're worried about? Uh, you know, when I read your message, you had said that you were wanting to, you're going to be getting out on your own and you're wanting to sort of figure things out. What do you sort of hope to gain from this conversation? I think ultimately I hope, or my idea was that if I presented the itemized list of things that I want to explore within myself, that I would get this sort of feedback that I'm lacking in other relationships, um, whether it be within my family or externally, um, I feel that I'm lacking this sort of, um, critical feedback uh i get i'm getting a lot of the like yeah, that sounds okay like that's that's you know if that's what you want to do yeah. Yeah. um and i really want you know i think i'm that type of person you yeah. know where i'm kind of like you know if somebody gives something to me i'm like well that sounds at odds a little bit with like how i understand you as a person and i'll give that feedback and i, I think i crave that feedback myself but i have a very hard time finding the people who are willing to do that um so that's my that's my object in this okay okay so you were you were in you were in foster care what was that what was that like how was that dynamic? It was, I, and, and I ask this because I always I am a firm believer in having an idea about where you came from 
to be able to help guide where you're going. So that's definitely. why I ask that kind of stuff. Sure, definitely. Um, so uh, foster care was a mixed bag. You know, in part, it was a lot of the time I was in predominantly white societies. My father is black. My mother is white. But, you know, I, I don't appear as a white person. Um, you know, I have light, lighter skin, but I have, you know, a broad nose and big lips. And I've got all those, you know, like uh, sort of like character traits. Um, Are you fast or... <laughs> I had to break it up. <laughs> you just started naming stuff. I'm just like, oh god, here we go. Um, how many how many cups of sugar do you put in Kool Aid? <laughs> it's a trick question. I don't know. She's from up north, though. Too. It's a that's, little bit that's of a, a good point. A divide potentially. There's a hundred percent a difference. Like I lived in Virginia for a little while and the, the way that I was perceived there was a hunt, like, you know, a complete 180 from the way I've been perceived even in small towns throughout Ma- Massachusetts. Um, you know, it's, it's a big, it's a big difference. Hmm. Have um, you always lived in New England? No. So, well, like I said, I lived in Virginia for less than a year, even, um, with my daughter's father. Um, but other in other parts of the states. Um, no, I've I've traveled a bit, <clears throat> but I've cool. like I've always lived in Massachusetts. You know, like when I was fourteen and I first entered foster care, the places I lived were all within Massachusetts because they have this sort of like uh, centralized system where you can't leave the state. You can you can be placed anywhere within the state. Um, it wasn't until after I was 18 that I actually like moved out of state and experienced that sort of like, you know, external. Um, yeah. <clears throat> when you had said that, obviously again, going into to foster care, what was that? What was that like? Sure. Did you feel like you were abandoned? Did you feel like, just tell me what, what those feelings were like? I think it was, it was, like I said, it was a mixed bag. There's yeah. In part, I felt that going into foster care, I mean, I was really excited in the beginning. I think the reason really? I, yeah, this, it's a crazy, let me explain this to you. Um, so when I first started, th- this is how I got in there. I was running away from my home. My mother is I, or Irish and French Canadian. Um, and I grew up in that sort of climate. My father wasn't very much in the picture. He came in periodically and was out periodically. Um, so I grew up, I grew up in this very sort of like confined culture. Um, my mom, oh, I should also mention that my mom's um, Roman Catholic, right? So she has this very strict view of how, like how the world um, or how you how you should expose your children rather to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that initial like running away from home wasn't wasn't necessarily in part, I should say, it was that I, I wanted to sort of bend the rules of what she had. But it was more so that like I wanted to experience freedom <clears throat> that I had in, in her household. Um, I wanted to be able to, you know, make decisions about who my friends were going to be, you know, what my schedule was going to look like. Up until this point, I had a very um, confined living experience. Like we lived in a pretty impoverished and difficult um, 
community where my mother thought it was best to keep us inside and to, you know, let us watch TV rather than let us go out because she thought the outside influences were going to be um, sort of detrimental to our development. Um, it sounds like how I grew up. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that, bro. So like yeah. being a Jehovah Witness. Yeah, no, it's it's. It, I feel like it's. I mean, I don't know anything about about that, but it feels like it was a very confined space, and all I wanted, you know, was this freedom, the sense of like I get to make my own choices, I get to go where I'm going. There were times where I didn't have a place to go, but I was still not willing to go home because. It was better to be free and to be able to make decisions, even if I was cold, you know, outside and sleeping on. There was this point where I was slept on like the dugout of um, this baseball field. And I was just like, I'd r- much rather be here than be home because there's this sense of freedom attached with it. And so my entire foster care experience sort of mirrors this um dichotomy that I had between like, you know, being with a family means confinement, means rules, means like regulation. And on the outside, like being on myself meant or being by myself rather meant that I could do what I wanted when I wanted. And there were some sacrifices to make, but I was more willing to make those sacrifices if it meant that I could have more of a say in where I was going. So uh, identity and autonomy a huge a huge factor in like what we're going to talk about today (laughs) yeah well and and that's that's what i would fathom too like you know growing up biracial and with a white mama in a constraining environment i'm like oh i get it like (laughs) it's just it's it's a very difficult thing because you're just bursting at the seams to explore what you really fucking are, but you don't have the means to do it. And and then you're, once you're cut loose, you're like this completely untethered entity. Like you trust people you shouldn't trust, all kinds of shit like that. It's buck wild, right. but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Um, no. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I wanted to to read the one thing that, that you said, you said that you're at a stage where you're about to strike out on your own yeah. for real this time. What do you mean by for real this time? Because it seemed like you had no problem kind of going out on your own. So why is it a problem now? Or I, why is it a concern? Or why are you worried about it now? I think because like when I struck out the first time and I was like running away from home, like there wasn't I mean, in the sense there was a safety net because like my mother was still there, but on the, on the side, like DCF, what I think is DCS or department of child, or it's called the Massachusetts department of children and families. It's like the, that, um, that entity that sort of takes care of that aspect of, um, like family relations, like when there's like abuse or some, just some, some sort of like dysfunction within the family. Mm-hmm. Um, there was that safety net for me initially, and I think I was aware of that um, to like, a, like almost in like a subconscious level, I was aware that I had this safety net. But if I at any point that something went too far wrong, I could always retreat back to this safe space. And this has been this has continued through my life where, you know, I got pregnant when I was 16 and had my my son when I was 17. Um and when I got, when I found out that I was pregnant, you know, I knew 
Um, at that time, I had run away also. I was in foster care at the time, and I was just like, you know, I dipped out and was kind of like, I'm gone. And I ended up pregnant and knew that I could go back to the foster care system because I was a ward of the state and they had a responsibility over me. I knew I could, I had that safety net. So it wasn't just like me and this, the father of my son. Um, there was this wider network of people who were responsible for me. Um, and even when I had my daughter, um, which was two years later when I was 19, I was pregnant. I think when I was 20, I had her, um, there is this, like, you know, there's like, you're just, you're kind of aware of like the system when you're, when you get into foster care and you learn sort of the rules of the game, you kind of be, you become aware of like the, the boundaries you can push and those which are sort of enforced. Um, I feel like this time in my life now that I'm 26 is different because like for the first time I'm going to be completely autonomous as far as like my, um, economic situation. Um, I just got out of like a, a almost a four year relationship and I'm going to be completely autonomous as far as like rearing my children. Um, and I find myself in a place that I've never been before. Like, I think I've given myself the idea that I've sort of simulated these experiences and I've been single for a while, but I, I still had the economic backing, you know, or I've been in a relationship, but I've really, you know, learned how to manage the economics, you know? And so it's, it's, it's like every time I'm in a new situation where I'm sort of finding independence, I still have something to fall back on. And I feel like I'm entering a space now where the, the 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 um the like the, the systems that i had in place initially to, to prop me up even if i'm in a, in, in a situation that's failing um they're not they're going away and in part because of like the, the natural natural progression of things or because i'm choosing not to rely on these systems anymore so you've always it seems like there's always been some kind of safety net except for the ones that you've made for except for one that you've made for yourself which is actually the hardest one on the planet to have by the way what do you mean by that is that there are at least for me or i would imagine a lot of us you get to a certain point where it's like okay you have mom or you have something or dad or whatever to be able to pick you up if if if, some, if shit falls apart yeah. but like creating your own level of safety on your own accord. I think there's something freeing about that, but it's something incredibly difficult as well. Well, uh, it, I, I think, ahead. I think pers personal accountability yes. is really that that's where you have to step into your own and, and realize nobody's going to come to save you. Like it's just a test of your own personal accountability and, and you'll, you're, fully fucking able to do it. I mean, you're fully equipped to goddamn do it. It's just a matter of doing it and being willing to be accountable to yourself. Mm -hmm. What's the, what's the lowest you've been before? Like how far, how far have you like fallen, if you will? Sure. Um, so there was a point at which me and my children were living. This is after we lived in Virginia. We lived in Virginia for about like five or six months with my daughter's father. Um, and he was struggling really hard with like being able to sort of reconcile like the shit that he was dealing with. Um, and when we came back up to Massachusetts, I was living in a sh like a homeless shelter with my children. 
Um, and at that point I decided, you know, I need to do whatever it takes. You know, the waiting list for getting assisted housing at this point where I don't have a degree, you know, I was in call, I was enrolled in college, left college while I was in Virginia, um, and decided that I need to do whatever it takes in order to get my children out of here. Like I was looking at the women who were around me, um, and this is going to sound extremely arrogant, but I like, I knew that I had this ability inside of me to get beyond what these women's daily or what the women who I was looking at, like their daily lives were like a constant struggle. Um, and I was like, I have the ability, um, and gifts like sort of granted to me by God that like, I can get out of the situation. And so I joined this platform called Seeking Arrangement. Do you, are you guys familiar with that? No. Okay. Uh-uh. Hey, be- before you describe Seeking Arrangements, when you say the women that you, that you're surrounded around, um, were they like friends and family? No, or so I was living in a group home and they were complete oh, strangers. Right. Okay, so I was, gotcha. I was living right. in yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which was, which was also, and again, you know, I'm, I've been a social worker for a long time. I'm sure right. you was exposed. It was a mixed bag of entities in there as well. Like it was a whole spectrum, young, old. I mean, yeah. you see, you see a semblance of like, holy shit. Like if I don't get my shit together, if I don't, you, you know, I, I kind of understand the potential for a reality check when you're placed in a scenario like that. And it doesn't mean that you're like, that's not, it's not arrogant by any means to make the acknowledgement of, okay, the position I'm in is not acceptable for my aptitude. Right. That's not, yeah, yeah I don't, some, I don't think that's the, ar- yeah. arrogant at all. I think, I yeah, think that, that is health, that's healthy and that's a dope way of looking at things. Right. So I haven't had it happen many times in my life that it would be considered pivotal or monumental, but maybe once or twice or three times, you know, uh, and I guess that's all that 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 should occur it's not something that you shouldn't be in an environment where you have that that epiphany um frequently but uh, uh, they have been the biggest motivators of me getting up and going was like was narcissism if you will just saying i can't be that person and i can't be a part of that narrative you know what i mean yeah. growing up um with me and my best friend uh, and i haven't talked to him in years and i got a got a feeling he's a little bit probably a little bit apprehensive to speak to me because he thinks I'm going to judge him, but we're old now, but we had this pact of not having starting a family accidentally Yeah, because we were set, we were, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old and we looked around and we had all these older brothers and uncles and cool cousins and stuff that looked out for us, but they all were plagued by the same thing. And it all came down to that, you know, whether it be child support or a baby mama drama and stuff like that. So we we just said, we can't be that narrative. We didn't articulate it that way back then, but we literally made a pact that, okay, uncle so-and-so or my older brother, look at what he's going through, you know, all because of, and, uh, we thought we were better than that. So mm-hmm. we, we, um, so yeah, that's an ex- I know exactly what you're talking about. And that's a, that's a good thing. There's no shame in that at all, man. I, I don't know what else, uh, mo- motivates people in the in, sure. in <clears throat> overwhelming environmental circumstances where they could easily just kind of stay status quo. Well, one of, the, one of the things that I feel like feeds into the things that I wanted to address with you today, I feel like mm-hmm. a big problem I have with understanding where I want to go is like ego. It's like a sense of like, mm-hmm. it's a sense of 
Um, so I was talking with the person I'm staying with today um, or for the summer I'm staying with um, and this leads into the last conversation I had where you asking like my lowest point. Mm-hmm. Um, my lowest point I think was so seeking arrangement is a website where you meet people who like are men who are, are you know, or women, it can go either direction. Um, where that person is looking for like a sugar daddy, sugar baby relationship. Right. And I entered into this agreement with an, with an individual who I felt, um, you know, could meet my needs as far as like what I was going to do. I was going to college at the time I was, um, after my degree and my bachelor's degree in philosophy and political science. And I needed to be able to find a way out of the arrangement or out of the, um, the circumstances that I was in. Okay. Um, and so in, in, in like in that agreement, we made an agreement, like a written formal contract um, where I was saying, you know, if I'm leaving the shelter because he wanted to, me to move in with him, like you have to agree that like, I'm not going to be like left on the street at some point. Like you're not going to just like my my children aren't going to be like abandoned. And we, we have this literal, like he's a lawyer. And so we had this formal agreement that like, this is what the circumstance is going to look like. If you want this relationship, if you want me to like step out on a limb here and leave the safety net that I have here at the shelter, you have to be willing to sort of like take up the place that this other um entity is going is is uh, like sort of providing in my life um and so i entered it was sort of like a form of sex work you know what i'm saying like it's it's kind of you're doing um it's a romantic relationship in exchange for some sort of financial benefit sure right Um, and so i'm in this situation i'm still i'm like i'm at the tail end i'm at five years at this point um, based on our contract, I'm actually spending the summer up here at his house. Um, a wonderful person. I should say that. Let me, let me, let me like make that very clear that the person who I entered into an agreement with has incredible integrity, like just a, like loving, very, just like not what you would expect. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You think of like a sugar daddy, sugar, like sugar baby relationship. And you think of somebody who's exploiting the other, whether it's a female or a male or however that balance goes out. Not just like, not the, not the experience in my case. Um, That's the reality is yeah. wild. Mm-hmm. Isn't it crazy? Like I, like I, I find myself revealing this part of my life very seldomly, you know, like I don't tell this to very many people. It's, it's very hard. Um, my children go to a private school, um, you know, and they get an amazing scholarship to go there. But I, I like, I told this to a person once and we stopped hanging out. And so like, (laughs) (laughs) it was around the time 50 shades of gray came out or shit like that. You did, you did your own pruning of your social circle by doing that. Anybody that that would, that would say you out or dip on you for that shit. Yeah. That's literally what I, what I thought of for a second. I was like, is this like 50 shades or something like that? But (laughs) you know, it's, you're right. Reality is, is honestly, it's, it's beautiful. I, I love where this is going. And before I forget about it, because I do, um, tend to wander and, and skip all over the place. My hope at the end of this episode, whatever direction that it takes 
is that you get to a point where this same type of contract that you have, you can also do, you can also make one with yourself yeah. uh, in one way, shape or form. I just want to be able to get that thought out there. So let's just continue with what we were. Because apparently you've kicked ass with this one. Yeah. So yeah. like, I know you can do it with yourself. Absolutely <laughs> can. All right. So, so where, so where are we starting at? Like, and, and let's, I mean, for real, if we're going to unpack everything, like, do you, do you have, uh, do you have like a little nest egg? Um, at this point, not, no, I've like, okay. um, I, I don't have that. I'm not, I'm not like, I haven't been working. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is like, I was in school full time. You know, I'm still, I'm, I have like one more class to complete before I have my degree. Actually, not one more class. It's technically a class, but it's like a thesis mm-hmm. that I have to write. Um, and then I'm off, you know, um, doing my own thing. So like the, this situation I find myself in now is that I am applying for like a position without having a full degree, you know, like I said, I have the one more class I have, I'm applying for a position, a remote position for this organization called profound gentlemen in North Carolina. And it's African-American men within that community looking for young African-American men who want to become teachers. Um, and they sort of form these support groups, coaching and like, um, like networks for like, uh, finding jobs within the community they want to expand to chicago that's dope as fuck i thought so i was like that's that's pretty that's like that's a pretty sweet gig there and so what i'm applying for is this development manager position where i would be running their like their grant raising fundraising sort of um initiatives for um for for the chicago Mm, that's really dope um um, I know we got a lot more to unpack and I'm loving the the cadence this is this has. But um what do, what do you think about uh Dr. Umar Johnson? Sorry, say that again. What do you think about Dr. Umar Johnson? Do you know who that is? And I don't know who that is. Okay, we'll talk about it later then. I'm okay. just curious because the, the, or, the organization <laughs> that you the describe. <laughs> I'm a major. I can make something out of anything. So and, and let me and let me ask you something real quick because I had another listener tell me that her only criticism of the show is that two of us sound alike. Do you think Mark and I sound alike? <laughs> oh my God! Stop for a second because I was literally like, "How am I going to tell them apart? Like, I'm going to offend somebody." Uh. <laughs> <laughs> for like a total of like two hours out of my day today because I was like, if they make me close my eyes and like try to listen to like who's who, I'm going to fuck somebody up. And it's gonna be- <laughs> <laughs> she's like, "Clue sounds like an upset." Standing citizen. Uh, <laughs> Whatever. About- you sound like you tell on people. Fuck you. I sound like a. That's what I sound like. I like absolutely. I, I'm one. I didn't know. I didn't know that Chris and I sounded like. One of you guys talk with like a British accent or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I won't be very. I can't do that. I want to. I want to ask, like, why did you choose philosophy? That was something that you had, you had said, and. and what about philosophy kind of drives you? Do, you? do you have a certain philosophy that pushes you right now? So I think it started when I was really young. My mother, like I said, is Roman Catholic. And 
part of their tradition is that like you're not supposed to read the bible you know it's kind of like the doctors of the church tell you how to interpret specific um you know whatever it is you know how to interpret the bible um and there was this one very specific instance the only time i can ever remember my mother reading from the bible was matthew chapter 26 39 which is where he where jesus is in the garden of gethsemane and he's talking to god but dealing with the devil at the same time and he's saying um the quote on my i actually got this tattooed on me this quote is uh, my father if this cup may not pass away from me except i drink it thy will be done and for some reason I, I i couldn't explain it to you this for some reason this affected me so deeply at like 12 years old you know when i'm 23 i can remember moments that may really make me feel like i'm still and really make me feel like i understand the direction in which i'm supposed to be thinking or directing myself or my my family when I was 12 years old is the first time I had this example was after my mother read to me from the Bible for the first and like only time. And I knew at that moment that I wanted to study mytho like uh, theology and philosophy. Mm. Um, and so I tried to study as I, like when I got older and I was 20, I was 19 or 20 years old when I started um, at the community college in the local area, I decided I wanted to study um astrophysics and i tried to study um anthropology and sociology and i tried all these different majors but philosophy was the only thing that kept me coming back to it because i felt like it tapped into the natural capacities of like or my natural capacities i should say um and the reason i think philosophy appeals to me is because my mind is geared towards or oriented towards the abstract like i can take an abstract concept and the way that my mind processes it processes it is sort of like a cartoon like i think of things in terms of like you know how you would see like a like a like a disney cartoon play out and they, they sort of trying to express these grander ideals and this is the way it sort of works in my mind. Um, and I'm able to come to, and like, I keep regretting the idea that I'm going to sound arrogant. Um, in the You're in good company if yeah, you want to sound say, arrogant I'm a, for I'm real. A fucking dick. <laughs> yeah, I get, I get so afraid of being like tooting my own horn. But I know that I'm a very capable philosopher. You know, I know yeah. that when I was in the philosophy department at the, that the uh, program that I went to, I would look at my professors and sort of being like, you guys are thinking on like a second grade, like level on this shit, you know, like there's, mm -hmm. there's so much more to, to dive into here. There's just so many different resources, resources from which you can pull. Um, and you're not, you're not getting as deep as you should. Um, and so to me, it feels arrogant, which is, I wrote down three things or two things that I really wanted to talk about, which is ego and love in this um, conversation. So I get kind of hesitant about <clears throat> sort of proclaiming the things that I think that I know um, because I'm afraid of the way in which you can deceive yourself. Hmm. Well, and you, and you said ego and love, correct? Yes. 
And and those things obviously are like interrelated as fuck. Like yes, yeah. You know, like and you're like, where does one end and where does the other begin? Right. Um, my first thought when I think about ego is, you know, you acknowledge that it should exist and it can be a stifling entity. Sure. Is treat it like a weapon. Hmm. It, it can be used irresponsibly and recklessly to yes. the detriment of others. It can be used to put others down. It can be used to uh, harm others. It can be used to harm yourself. But, but a weapon. But but, but but yeah. But if you hone that shit and you understand how to wield that shit in an effective manner, putting your ego to use for you. And again, not to the detriment of others. That's a key part of the whole thing. Treating your ego like a weapon. I think it's a good place to start. Um, the thing is that I feel like I, that's, that's a question I have that I've like presented or that I thought that I would present to you guys was that this is something that's very new to me. The understanding that like, so I feel like I've been convinced for so long that like, because I believe something is true because I've described it to my way and or described it to myself in a certain way that I don't understand when I'm being egotistical or when I'm facing reality. This is a huge like obstacle that I'm just like beginning to face. Let me give oh, an yeah. example. So yesterday I was talking with a friend, um, about like he's got some sort of he's got some kind some degree of like obsessive compulsive aspects of him and i've sort of confronted that in a sense where i'm like you know you need to be really balanced you know you need to like have these you need to keep this in mind when you're thinking about these, you know, what it, whatever it is. So if it's, if he's compulsive about the way his house looks, if he's compulsive about the way his yard looks, I'm lecturing him about balance. And then yesterday, I mean, so this has been going on for like, you know, maybe a year and a half when we've had these like back and forth, forth conversations about how to deal with, you know, different aspects of your life. And yesterday I feel like I had a breakthrough that I'm not even sure of why it's a breakthrough where I said to him, like, you're okay with you with like, it's okay how you are. And we're going to learn how to like cooperate together. And that felt like such a breakthrough for me where I was like, okay with letting him be who he is. And I'm okay with let, like, like who I am. And I feel like that's tied up with ego because it's very hard. Like there's just, there's just a very difficult process of being able to distinguish when you are right and you ought to stick with your guns or you feel like you're right, but it's okay to let other people sort of like, you know, that's sort of like you're entitled to your, your opinion and I'm entitled to my opinion sort of dichotomy. Oh yeah. I think um, we all, the three of us, have um well the four of us in this conversation have different models of what ego ego is and um if in you you seem to be maybe developing your own 
But um, um, I really like what you said because I know, just like Chris and Kalu, I know exactly the scenario you're talking about, and I deal with it all the time. I've been dealing with it for years, and and it it shaped what my idea or my my model of ego is. And my model of ego is that classic one of a bubble or an atmosphere. Um, if if you ever ask yourself like what sustains the Earth's atmosphere, you know, and why doesn't Mars have one or the Moon? It's gases, right? And gases are varying densities. So you can think of it like kind of like snow globe or like a bubble. That's how I like to think of it. And developing, testing, or shrinking the ego means going into different environments where the edges, the parameters of that bubble will be tested. If you're in a in a big open field, you know, and you got that bubble around you and it doesn't bump against anything, you don't know how big the bubble is. You get what I mean? Um, maybe explain it if you could in a different way. I'm not sure if I entirely understand what you're getting at here. I, I think, I think our egos are like, um, like a byproduct of our minds, our minds being aware of itself. Right. Sure. So, so every part of your biological systems have a pro- a product and a byproduct, right? Okay. Some of them are, are, are obvious and some of them are not less obvious. Every organ, the spleen, the pancreas, all of them have a product and a byproduct. Okay. And so the mind itself is an organ. The brain, excuse me, is an organ. And sure. the product, the product of it is the mind. Like it's the evidence that the thing is operational is the mind. And the tricky thing is the product of the mind and the byproduct of the mind are the same thing. They're both thoughts. You get what I mean? Yes. So w- what you're producing and what you are experiencing as a side effect of, of exercising your own mental space is a byproduct. So it's always going to be there. Some people take the route of shrinking the production. So that's why they call psychology shrinks, right? So they yeah. shrink that bubble, that mm-hmm. sphere of byproducts, you might think. The more you think, the bigger that bubble gets, the more side effects there are, the more gases are released, if you will from okay. from you you being the planet in this in this goofy analogy of mine so what i realized was you know being that it's a gaseous cloud it can be shaped any way you want it doesn't have to be a big old sphere you know a perfect sphere that's affecting everything so bounce that bitch off of as much as you can put yourself in situations where your ego gets tested i spend a lot of time studying philosophy audits auditing philosophy classes uh with my friends and i would go test it me and Kalu would go to western and like start a you know argument about something and i'd be always surprised <laughs> on what didn't work but what it told me about what what it would teach me was all right, that portion of the ego, I can, I can refine or I can hold it back, you know, until you get, until you get to be this crazy amalgamous um, cloud that can be effective in space. Some people absolutely hate that. Some people are just like, no, I'm going to always be myself and I'm going to push and until the world bends, bends toward me. So you have that choice. But, but the, the, the fundamental part about my perspective on ego is I don't think it's a thing that can be, avoid it it's a side effect the more thinking you do and i mean this is all jiddu krishnamurti if you've ever read him it's all in it's because it's the product of this organ so you got to manage that and if you enjoy like 
the four of us do, if you enjoy exercising and brain thinking about stuff, well, that gaseous cloud, that bubble grows all the time, even in ways it's always growing. So (laughs) you got to be aware of that and go and pop that bubble, if you will, like bounce it off of other people in other environments to refine it. Or, you know, if you enjoy solitude, like I do, you can Mm -hmm. get away with letting it grow. (laughs) And you can end up feeling like the master of the universe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, and and it, we got to all admit that it feels good to be right, even if that's yes. not our yeah. objective. If that's not our primary objective, straight up, even the most noble person, it feels good to be right. Yeah. So we have to whenever we're analyzing like like you were talking about being critical of a friend and then finally getting to a point where you were like, I'm OK with the way you are like, I don't have to fix you. And Kalu. <clears throat> Kalu has often talked about his proclivity to want to fix things. Like he feels like he has to fix things and something that he's had to overcome is, is kind of, you know, our concept of letting go of the edge of the pool and being like, some things you don't, you don't, you don't have to fix. You don't, you don't meddle with. You just kind of, you either allow for them and you do kind of an inventory to a degree about the degree of, of distress it causes you versus the degree of, of pleasantries it, co- it, it, it affords you or you, I mean, you just dip on the scene, but honest to God, whenever we're talking about, you know, the, how the ego plays into <clears throat> how we interact with other people, I think it comes down to, at least with me, uh, rigidity my own personal rigidity when it comes to ideologies and things. I'm pretty laid back about a a lot of stuff, but there are certain things I'm super duper rigid about. And if I, and if I get a red flag that tings on one of those, um, it, it, it can take me off course as far as being objective. So, so if, and, and again, I don't know where you're at as far as, um, your interactions with people and your predisposition to maybe want to be like, no, th- this is how this needs to be. Like, I, I don't know wh- where you're at with it, but goddamn, like, there's almost this psychological clenching that I have periodically found myself doing. And then, and you can like look for it and find it. And then just be like, whoo, and release for just a second. And it's that fucking simple. And it's oftentimes related to interactions with other kids. And I'll be completely honest with you. One of the ways that I cope is I isolate myself. I just fundamentally do not have the energy to interact with too many people. I mean, my job just takes that much out of me and I'm I'm selfish with the rest, but um, I I don't know again, and I don't I don't want to be presumptuous when it comes to where you're at. Um, when it comes to your ego, but I think the rigidity, like looking at at one's ego as far as am I rigid? Am I am I accommodating? What I'm what am I willing to accommodate for? Um, I think that's worth looking at as well, maybe. Mm-hmm. Chris, don't you also combine that with your uh, with your like meditative sphincter clenching as well? 
<laughs> not I, I, deliberately. I, I, not I, I, deliberately. It just be okay. that way. That's my that's my first and last one. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Danielle. We, we, so, we enjoy you know, terrible humor. Yeah. yeah no, no, it's fine. So uh, one thing I wanted to, to say is where my I guess my idea of my ego really started to take shape whenever I started to read more about like Joseph Campbell. Um, I think it was Joseph Campbell, the, the hero's journey. Is that, that's Joseph Campbell, I believe. Oh yeah. Um, Daenerys, are you familiar with that? I'm not. So So the hero's journey is essentially, uh, if you want to call it a blueprint or if you will, and it, it, it states that, Nearly every story that you hear follows a certain type of arc, whether it's the story of Jesus or whatever, or the story of Iron Man or Neo or Simba or, you know, Frodo, like Spider-Man. Every single person follows this type of arc. And so I'm going to break this sort of down and, and sort of make the connection to to where it is. So there's there's multiple phases, right? So in this hero's journey, you have your first world, if you want to call it your first phase, and that's your ordinary world. So let's say we'll roll. Have you seen The Matrix? Like, yes. Yeah. OK. Uh, like pretty well. You're pretty familiar with the, with the movie and stuff. For the most part, I've done more. I, I saw the movie a while ago, but I've done more research since I've been like delving into faith. Research okay. there's analogies between the Matrix and the Bible. Um, okay. I, okay. Think I feel like I'm pretty familiar with it. Like, what about Harry Potter? Hugely familiar with Harry Potter. All right, here we'll do Harry Potter. So, like the first phase of Harry Potter. So you know, it says you know he he lives in that in that cupboard. You, you remember that in the first movie. Uh, where he yeah. lives, you know, in the in the cupboard and uh, under the stairs, and he has a super ordinary. And I'm kind of reading from this uh, from this diagram that I always find myself going back to, and that's yeah. your ordinary world. And this is just sort of you as you are right now before any kind of stuff starts to happen. But what happens is called right after that is what they call the call to adventure. Um, Some people call it the the, uh, call to action or something like that. So usually something happens in your life that says like that pulls you towards doing something potentially better for Harry. He gets that letter to go to Hogwarts. Yeah. And so the the next phase into that is where Kalu, you're adorable. Let me just say that. You're a goddamn cherub of a hey, man. Hey man, I try. I try. <laughs> so and again, so this this um and I'm reading from this diagram here, but this this is something that I revert to every single time and I can make the connection within my life. Uh and so there's a refusal of that call. And it says that Harry doesn't believe, you know, he could be a real wizard. And I'm, I'm hoping that you can make this kind of connection to yourself right now, where you can see that there is at some point in your life there there was or there is right now this call to adventure, this call to action. And some part of you is refusing that call. And I think with part of you, there, there's a refusal of a call because it's you have those safety nets right there. So it makes it harder to sort of jump out and out outside of this comfort and answer these calls or these little itches or these feelings that you've been having to do something bigger. Look, it, it, honestly, like we'd be doing you a disservice, in my opinion, if we kept referring to it as safety nets. Like, yeah, it's it's it. These you you have been part of entire systems, mm-hmm. and these because the safety net is like oh you know something to fall back on. You have 
the system is part of who you are at this point. It's part of how you were socialized. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's where you're at. Mm -hmm. So you have to analyze objectively how that may have impacted who you are right now. Yes. Like there's a level of dependence in that. Yeah. And, and again, that doesn't make, I mean, we often talk about what, yeah. And, and those are like subjective entities anyway, but it's, uh, it's obviously it's just it's just a fucking starting point yes, and, and yes. acknowledging what what it may have facilitated and mm-hmm. and what deficits that that yeah. may have facilitated as well. And that's a shitty thing, especially yep. amongst us yeah. with a with a certain aptitude to acknowledge potential deficits. And I know that like the other side of that coin for me is like um, procrastination and perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I'm, and, and if I'm honest, I call it procrastination and I call it perfectionism and those are playful, mm. but it's really fear of failure. Yeah. yeah. That's a hundred percent what the fuck it is. In my opinion, like yep. it's, a, it's a way that'll of, make you refuse the call on multiple occasions. It will. You don't want to fail, man. It is, it is putting glitter on a turd to be like, Oh, yep. I'm a perfectionist or I'm a procrastinator. Oh. Like this, you were afraid of failure. And, and, and I am, I'm the king of afraid of fucking failure. Yeah. And and one of the, one of the biggest things I've had to work on is, is learning to, to just do it, to not, to not worry about making sure everything's perfect and actually embracing the fact that along the way, a lot of the wheels is going to fall off, but you're going to come skating in a finish line with like sparks and shit flying up. But you can make the, you make the shit work. The, uh, the next phase there is that there's a there's a meeting with the mentor. So, again, because we're talking Harry Potter, uh, it says that Hagrid uh, is it Hagrid or Hagrid? I can't. It's remember. Hagrid. Why All would right. who Man, are you? Listen, I who watched, are you? I watched who five, knows motherfucker? seven. Hagrid. <laughs> but anyway, take. <laughs> <laughs> You have derailed. You have derailed everything. Oh no! (laughs) I didn't watch the first one. Like you know what? You know why I didn't watch the first one? Because everyone fucking loved it, and I was like, I'm not going to be edgy. I was edgy, dude. I thought it was being really. Uh, I left the theater. I went to watch one that had like ghosts and shit in it. Which one had the specters chasing them around? There's like some ghost or something chasing Harry Potter. Moaning Myrtle. I don't know, man. They're like, I don't know. They're like ghosts. Oh, coming oh after yeah. And, uh, wait, wait, wait. I know what you talking about. It's not let the me, first. Let me, let me get this goddamn thought out. So after after <laughs> meets the mentor, the next phase in this is that you cross into the first threshold. So he learns about his parents' death. I like to do the Iron Man thing because Iron Man in this part learns where that his the what his father has been doing has been making weapons that kill people and stuff like that. You know, when he thought he was doing some kind of a big whatever. Okay, so that's the first threshold. So if you can if you can make that connection, where have you hit that big epiphany? Like maybe this stuff that I've been learning isn't really what what really is and and i attribute like the connection i'm making for you is maybe when you started having these different thoughts about faith and religion and stuff like that and it started to make you question everything i could be wrong but i think that the next you know it says the next phase in that is the test allies and enemies and it says you know harry just to life at hogwarts after that 
It says there's the approach to the innermost cave. Harry, Ron, and Hermione plan to get the Philosopher's Stone before Snape. The next phase in that. And again, start to think of the different parts in your life. If you start to view your life as a story, it makes it very easy to to follow this kind of arc. So the next phase in there is that there's the ordeal. Harry, Ron, and Hermione overcome the obstacles to protect the Philosopher's Stone. The reward is that Harry enters a room where the Philosopher's Stone is hidden, the road back, it says Harry faces Professor. Is it Quirrell? Yeah. Where? Kalu, I'm gonna fight Shut you up, in your front yard it. for this. <laughs> <laughs> Iron Man. I use Iron Man all the time. I was like, please. <laughs> I am. We gonna fist fight in your yard. Is <laughs> it Harry faces you know Professor Quirrell, who is who has been uh, hosting Voldemort in his body? The resurrection it says Harry wakes up in the hospital. Uh, Dumbledore explains that Harry is protected by his mother's love. Then sure. the return with the elixir. Harry returns to four pivot drive uh, for the summer, happy to belong at Hogwarts. Like this is the I think that within every single life, in my opinion, that gets lived, if you view it like a story and if you view yourself as the hero of that story, your ego is going to play a very big part. But, but your ego is also going to be the part that in my opinion, at least for me, recognizing that I'm in a story and it, that I'm the character of the story, there's no l- real losing, if you will. There's always just learning. There's always something that's going to be happening every time. So for me, uh, the ego is is a weapon at at some points, but it's more of a it's more of a shield for me, and it's more of a safety net for me. Because somehow my ego has been that thing to tell me I don't need anyone to tell me that I'm not shit. My ego finds a way to tell me that I'm not shit. Well, that's mm-hmm. a good point. No, what I'm yeah, saying? You know, your that's ego, your ego is not um, it's not a negative thing all the time. Yeah. No, you know, I mean it's not it's yeah. just it's an effect, you know. Um hey, hey, do you have uh is it Denaria or Denaya? How say Denaria's friend. Well, well, I'm sorry, say it again. Denaya. <laughs> Yeah. Dania? Yes. Okay. That's what I thought. That's what it says on Skype. Sorry about that. Do you do you have the chat experience? Are you um on Skype from a phone or from a computer right now? A computer now. Okay, cool. So you can see what I'm typing. Oh, let me see. well, it's not showing up here. Let me see. Okay. Cool. I just was gonna like give you links to the stuff that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Cause if you haven't listened to the six hour Joseph Campbell series, you gotta listen to that. Okay. It's uh, it sounds boring six hours, you know, it's it's broken up into one hour uh uh sections, but oh you have got to listen to that. That as a, you kind of owe it to yourself as a philosopher philosopher to listen to that. Everyone has to listen to Joseph Campbell's uh mm-hmm. The power of myth. It, it was like a TV series that he did with Bill Moyers on like public access or something on PBS a long time ago. So you can look it up on YouTube as well. But when was um, the, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I wasn't going to say anything else. When was the last time that you, that you sat with yourself? Not in yourself, but when you sat with yourself, like when you viewed yourself as the subject. You're asking me. Hmm. Um, maybe last night. What well, what happened? Um, I was listening to one of your FYFT podcasts with, I think it was the fifth episode. You're asking this woman about specifically about love. Mm. 
and I was listening listening to it in preparation for this podcast. Um, and I, I kind of got some insights as far as like um, some patterns of my behavior, patterns of my interactions with other people that I felt needed to be brought to the forefront of a discussion mm-hmm. um, with like, you know, objective minds um, in order to sort of parse out what was valuable and what was sort of detrimental to my progress. What was that? (laughs) Specifically, um, there's this quote from the woman who you did that, that podcast with where she was talking about sacrifices. Like, I think the quote was like, I was willing to make more sacrifices then I was willing to sort of like stand my ground on particular things that she was mm-hmm. adamant about or things that she really felt that were important to her. Yeah. What do you um, accept versus what you expect? Right. That's exactly. constant struggle. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. I think that's sort of like secondary to the idea of ego in my mind right now. I think ego is only prescient for me right now because it's sort of what I'm like focusing on something I'm sort of becoming more aware of as far as like how it affects the way that I interact with people. Um, which, you know, in correlation to Harry Potter is the way I sort of, I I sort of found that I, I understand like what my strengths are like this alternate, alternate world in which I feel that I have these abilities and capabilities to understand people's intentions, understand, you know, abstract and complex ideas. Um, It can become difficult because I feel like, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's at odds with sort of at odds with what I feel like my expectations are in a sense. Do you find that like you try to relate to people, like you try to connect to people on that level, like that level that, that means so much to you, like the, the abstraction, the, that deep philosophical thought and you reach and it's seldom reciprocated. Like you don't find it very often either. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's kind of, it, it, it it's a blessing and a curse like the insight like i guess you know they say ignorance is bliss the fact that you you harbor this ability inherently it it alienates you from whatever percentage of the population just off cuff potentially a hundred percent yeah so I, i was thinking about this earlier with my friend peter who i was um just having a conversation with or no, my friend Eric, he was um, asking me, like, in, in light of the, the protests um, that have been going on lately, she's a white man, and he was asking me a little bit about um, my perspective as, like, a, you know, a woman of color. Um, my perspective on um, 
implicit bias, right? Um, and so I have these experiences where, so my children are both in a private school, right? They have this um, amazing scholarship to go to this private school in the, the state that we're in. And I was trying to express to him this the abstract idea of like implicit bias, like how does that work? Um, and the only way that I could express that to him was giving him examples in my own life of dis- different ex- um, different examples of implicit bias. Um, and I felt I could reach him only because he was like open to it. But I feel like that's sort of like a, 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 uh, a limitation of my own mind. Like, how do you express this complex abstract idea in a way that reaches other people? And I've had it right. in other experiences, you know, dealing with other parents because I'm so young, I'm 26 at this point. And most of the parents that I'm engaging with are like 35 or above um, who have the same age children than I do. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much of that is like maturity. Like maybe I'm trying to engage with people on a, an, in, a, in a capacity that they're not, you know, that like when you're 36 or 37 years old, you're not, you're kind of like, you know, that's immature. We're not really dealing with that sort of stuff anymore. We're kind of dealing with things that are more, um, advanced than what it is that I'm thinking of, or if it's just a thing that like is particular to me. Um, I, I think something that we, we cannot ignore is that you are 26 and 26 is an interesting number psychologically because you are really just kind of blooming. Um, and it's hard to make sense out of a lot of the shit. And it's honestly like you're making a lot of connections that you previously didn't make, like these abstract thoughts. A lot of stuff's coming together and you're excited about it and you want to share and it gets you it gets you fucking hype and you're, you're bursting at the seams about it. Well, neuroplasticity in and of itself is a motherfucker. But the fact that you are you have a 26 year old brain and not a 30 year old brain. um the brain in, in a lot of people, the brain continues to develop. Mm-hmm. However, that may be, especially if you're continuing to challenge it and train it, like it seems like you are mm-hmm. like coming into your prime or your eminence, your brain is going to continue to develop and change over the next two, three years. Mm-hmm. And then even beyond that, there's going to be a lot of pruning and comfort seeking and getting away from comfort seeking and coming back or whatever. I'm 35 years old and I feel like there's been a lot of times where I've been like, okay, I can see the edge of the horizon right there. Like if I can just get there. And by the time I get to that motherfucker, I'm 32 years old and I'm like, all right, well, I kind of don't know what the hell I'm doing. And then I get to a point and I'm like, all right, I got a handle on this and I'm 35 and I'm like, the older I get, the more comfortable I become with the fact that I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> That's peace. There's a lot of peace to that. And there's there's peace. in, um, you know, what what we try to do, there's there's peace in that for us, like genuinely trying to explore ideas and concepts without limitations and shit. But there's enormous peace in just being like throwing your hands up and being like, look. I'm just doing the best I motherfucking can, okay? 
Yep. That's, I mean, that's the been uh, truthfully for me, that was probably, or that is the most freeing feeling. We live in a world where everyone wants to be or look right or God. be or look like they're the smartest or something and like that. And what does that, that even mean? What it doesn't does mean even... a goddamn thing. Oh, and what does it look like? Dude, it, it looks it looks. Well, it's, like it's got like its hair parted on the side and blue eyes. Yeah. And like a, well, I mean, it's, it, an just, it looks like someone that's flailing their arms in the water, just just like reaching for anything. But like, I think that the, the real piece is the person floating just chilling out doing their thing and they're just like yeah i may not get it but at least i'm here and and i'm experiencing the waves i'm experiencing all the different things that are happening that is one of the big pillars of even why you know i started this podcast was the fact that no one is right about anything like right is relative but we're going to <laughs> for the most part, but uh, there, no, I'll say there's some shit that's wrong. Uh, but uh, you know, the fact that, that we're out there and you're, and you're saying like, or at least you're just putting yourself out there just to be, just to listen to, to hear, to, to speak, to do all that shit. I mean, it's, it's liberating as fuck, man. You don't have to try and, look any certain way or be any certain way but it's hard enough for people to be themselves i'm sure you've noticed that as it is yeah and, and what even is yourself like it's not a static thing it's always we, changing we are yeah from moment to moment by the time we are done with this podcast the four of us will have changed yes that's that's a motherfucking fact no. So if if you multiply that shit, man, that, it adds up. There's a lot of stuff going on in your day to day or in my day to day that culminates and manifests itself in ways that we have no fucking idea about. It really comes down to getting a, a handle on that, trimming the fat and being super duper accountable to yourself, super fucking accountable to yourself. And I think that, that that's going to be the key. Like if we were to be like to give you one tool. Like yeah. you have one tool to survive on this desert island mm -hmm. that is going out on your own. It's holds your feet to the fucking flame this yes. entire time. More than anyone else could. Yeah. Be your that, big. And, and when we yes. talk about it, we've talked about it numerous times. The paradox of feeling like you are simultaneously everything mm -hmm. and nothing. Yeah. Like you yeah. are all you are all that there ever was your experience, your subjective experience on this planet as you have it is all that you will ever truly own. And it is everything. But at the same time, we are so minute and minuscule in the grand scheme of things that that's a liberating concept as well. It's a little scary. But it's also liberating and it's it a little helps depressing you in some cases because we're all talking we're the most special person on the planet. Man, I'm, I feel great. It you, that There's a reason why I got like 109 unanswered text messages on my Fuck phone. Fuck you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no, like the, the holding your feet to the flame, going out there and checking the fact my my intellect has been one of my greatest hindrances. Being told I was special from an early age, being put in like gifted classes at an early age, um, being able to turn in homework day of, not study for tests, turn them in and still make B's and shit. That has been my, I, I've been my own worst enemy. And don't let that shit happen to you because it quite easily could. Mm. So you're, you're cut loose. You have to acknowledge, and I say this with all love, you, you have to acknowledge that, that you are being cut loose 
And we, we use the analogy talking about human aptitude and what we're presented with. You like, like, like chimps with machine guns, like you have all this aptitude and ability, but you are being jettisoned off into the world without the systems that have facilitated you up until this point. Yeah. So it's like, do you turn that outward and put it to work for you? Or do you allow that to hinder you? Mm-hmm. It's hard too, man. You know, I, I tell, um, I tell everyone this and it's especially the, the advice that I tell myself. It's the advice that I, that I, or the, my mindset when I get into a relationship, I, you know, I tell that person or I tell myself, of course, you can be anything that you want except for a liability. And people imagine don't how scary that would be if Kalus set you down and yeah. looked at you and said that shit to you. I'd be like, <laughs> Dude, it's 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 rough, man. It, it really is. Like because that, the it moment, changed me when Kalu said that to me. I had never even evaluated something that I, made, thought, I, I like, thought he was yeah. going. I thought I was going to get whacked. Yeah, man. It's, <laughs> it's the thing, man. You can literally be anything you want to me, except for a liability. I mean, that is. And if you can, if you can stand in the mirror and, and tell yourself that, like, hey, I'll be anything I want, but don't, don't be a liability to yourself. Don't be a liability to your kids. Don't be a liability to your friends, all that kind of stuff. And it really makes you want to take care of stuff. It really makes you awake. It makes you hyper aware of your actions. I'm telling you the truth. There, there's, there's nothing like that. I, I don't believe that there's any other higher responsibility because it spans into every, every facet of your life. Yeah, you you lightweight have a duty to to proliferate. Mm -hmm. You lightweight do like if if we're going to live in a civilized society, um, you know, it it, it is. And and according to different philosophical like, do you do you read Foucault? Do you like Foucault? Is she there? Yes, I'm here. Sorry. No, no, you're good. You're good. (laughs) Have you read any Foucault? A little bit. I have yet. Well, like like systems and power structures and things like that. It's yes. the the ability to self check. God damn! And and like I'm like I'm telling you, I can only speak to my own pompous, long winded ass, subjective experiences. But I have been my my greatest enemy. My my innate abilities. From a very early age, introspection, all kinds of shit. Like normal three-year-olds don't stand and just stare in the fucking mirror. And you can call that what you will, but like stare and contemplate like, holy shit, I fucking exist at three years old. That doesn't foster a mind that's really like wanting to play the game. And it's taking me the longest time on into I was older. I was older than you before I I realized in order to make things happen, I had to um, I had to play the game to a degree, not not sell my soul by any means. But I had to learn to play, play the motherfucking game. And uh like and that's one of the reasons why I'm not out protesting. Like mm-hmm. I, you, you do an inventory of, you know, we had a guest on that she said, "Tend the garden you can touch." You do an inventory of where you're best served. 
Like where 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 can you best have a utilitarian function? And I, I feel like in my role, I, I'm best served in that motherfucking role. Where where do you feel like you would be best yeah, serve? No, it's true. But 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 with your aptitude and with your hunger, where do you feel like that you fit in as far as society is concerned? Or do you fit in? I that's my question. You know, that was sort of my question coming into this podcast was like trying to understand you know, I faced a lot of um criticism for the role I have played in my, you know, interpersonal relationships with my sister, with my um friends, sort of being, you know, I'm I'm like I'm primarily a moral a moral philosopher, I sort of, sort of like fall under the Kantian um, domain of like philosophical thinking. And, you know, so that sort of lends me towards um, like moral critique. And I think that's what I'm good at. I had this, I, I just got out of this like four, three and a half year relationship. Um, and I remember one of our last conversations where he was sort of, um, <clears throat> we were sort of like in this combative discussion where he felt like, you know, or he's, it, it, it felt to me that he was saying like, who do you think you are? And for me, I was kind of like, you know, I'm here to tell you what the fuck you're doing wrong. You know, in a sense, like we're lo- like, if I'm looking at this logically, or if I'm looking at this critically, if you want this particular outcome, then like the logical path that you're taking is in opposition to outcomes that you want. Um, and I sort of feel as though what I have to offer is something that is anathema to what many people feel great friendships or great leadership looks like. Um, and that's what it, sort of what like my idea was coming on to this podcast is that I could give oh, you yeah. this idea that like, you know, my friend, <clears throat> what I have relationships with, look like, look at me and say, um, you know, you're being judgmental or you're being too hard, mm-hmm. you know, or you're not a very friendly person. And I'm kind of looking at myself. I'm like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to function any other way Yeah. to look mm-hmm. at you and say, you know, you're being contradictory in your actions, your statements, you know, hey. what you're saying or what you're claiming about yourself as far as like your purpose of being here and what you think your identity is, is in opposition to the way that you behave. Um, Did you start doing that after you grad, after you started taking a couple of philosophy classes or what? No, that was, that's from when I was a kid, you know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus. Okay. like as a, as a child, I remember yeah. um, not wanting my sisters bring this up to me even now that like when I was, you know, eight years old, I didn't want to play with my sisters. You know, I, I didn't really want to like interact with them. I kind of wanted to be the outside observer. They make fun of me because like, I wanted to be the dog instead of to be the mother or the sister when they play house. I wanted to be the dog because I could sit and be quiet and watch and just sort of observe. Mm. And I had this thing about me, you know, as far back as I can remember where I've been very particular about the people I've wanted to hang out with, you know, and 
my sister is the same ones who I had this interaction with when I, like they wanted to play house have reported back to me that they feel like I'm judging them or they feel like, you know, I think that I'm better than them because of the way that my mind works. And it's, and even my friends have come back to me and said this, and it's made me sort of self-conscious where I'm like, am I judging these people? And it doesn't feel that way. But it's really love, but it's really love coming from you though, right? Like you're like, I'm only doing this because I like care about you. Like I wouldn't take the time to tell you this shit if I didn't love you. Like it's an investment on your end and and it's confusing and hard to joust with because you're like, what the fuck? I'm just being me and trying to facilitate. Is it, does that sound anywhere that feels that feels exactly right. I can remember this time I went to China with my like my college and I remember this friend who I got really close to and she was Italian and so English wasn't her first language. And so when I was trying to communicate to her, we had this argument about like this one instance where like we weren't required to go to a dinner and so I like hung out and I stayed behind and she was really mad at me for doing that because she thought it was a bad look and I was just saying like you know they didn't really require us to go and I kind of just want to take a nap and she said something back to me where it's like you know you just think you're better than people you know you just think you're smarter than people use these big words and stuff and I remember like falling into tears about it because I was like that's not my intention at all like I love you very much you know and it was sort of just like all these emotions bubbling up for her. I think maybe things that she was holding back. Um, and it stayed with me, you know, for the past yeah. three years, you know, this, this, this feedback that I constantly get from people where they think like, you know, you're just judging me. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm really, it's really not a, like I could say to you, I think you're obsessive compulsive, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and that to me is not like a critique of your character, but it's more of an assessment. It's like, okay, so where do we go from here? You know what I'm saying? Like you, you yeah. need to have things, you have this control feature of your personality. And so where do we go from here in order to understand like how, how best to optimize, you know, your living experience or our relationship even. Um, I want, I'm sorry. Well, you mentioned control. Do you think that that factors into your behavior in any way Um, even even just just a byproduct like like mark was saying you know you and and 100 i know i know the formula to a t that what you're doing is with the best intentions and it's it's an investment in people and it's an expression of love that they don't know how to interpret correctly but um again do you think that control even perceivably from like a third person perspective could be part of the equation. It would definitely be interesting if it was, because I think of myself, another reason, like I said, I wanted to come on the podcast is because I'm like branching out and like discovering something new. I know a part of myself, like even from like that early stage when I was 14 years old and I was like running away from home, I like crave spontaneity you know i crave the sort of like switching up of the programming in a sense yeah, so if, if this yeah me too like if this part of me was craving control it would be incredibly interesting for me to like you know sit there and like think about like do i really, do well, I really need structure well and and not even necessarily control on your end not 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 coming from you at all other than the fact that it's perceived that way well i also wonder though in you know growing up there in 
when you look at it, I guess on the outside in, it seems like it's perceived like there isn't that much stability, but the way to counter that is to exert some kind of control in, in, on other things. And, and again, I'm putting this through the, just putting this through the grinder. Do you, could that be something to think about as well? I, I, I like you guys are, you're sort of like giving me this, the sense that this is probably something I need to explore deeper is like, is my sense that like when I perceive other people's way of doing things and I, and I think I, I have a, a better answer to it, or I think I have this philosophical well thought mm-hmm. answer that maybe it is a sense of like, a sense of like wanting to control the outcome of a situation. It doesn't feel like control to me. And I guess the traditional sense of like um, trying to secure an outcome, it Mm -hmm. feels more to me as though it is, I I don't like, okay, so let me, let me frame it this way. So it feels exciting to have the debate with somebody Mm -hmm. about like the way that they're behaving and like a particular, it feels exciting, Mm -hmm. the the potential that it could have a positive outcome. And it feels really frustrating when you feel like it's futile to have that discussion with another person. Well, I think you you sound, go ahead. Sorry, she sounds exactly like me. She sounds like Mark. (laughs) Yeah. Like that. I think you, for the reasons I described earlier, using the quote of ego bubble model, you gotta, you gotta put yourself in a bigger environment where exercising that personality trait of yours is, uh, beneficial to you because you could be like big fish in a small pond kind of effect. And, and, and trust me, there is a, there's a match for you, if you will. You, they always, yeah. older people growing up where I'm said, where, where I grew up would always say, you're going to meet your match one day. You're going to meet your match one day. And you just think you're tough until you meet like Buster Douglas. Then you're like, oh crap, I can lose, yeah. you know? And, yeah. um, and so what that's an indication of is not that you're being controlling or whatever. It's that you've got to get in bigger, more challenging environments. And then you will be so delighted at how, you learn about yourself in very short order. You'll either shriek and go back to that pond or you'll, you'll grow even more. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's and, where um, the ego lies. Yeah, that's, that's, where, that's where, that's where the ego's at. So you're bouncing like- off. If you're surrounded by people that aren't willing to think, because all of my friends have dealt with that for me for years. And I've got amazing circles of friends, but um, when you come around Mark Twain, you're going to be, introspective and that's what you are you're introspective so i'm not trying to read you or anything like that i'm just saying you you like the examination part of it and that makes people feel transparent it makes them feel vulnerable so you have to be careful to make sure people are not have very strong personalities like the guys on this call like strong egos if you will or they are interested in exploring themselves that way because everyone who's ever friends with me for any length of time has that exact transformation and when you're the age that you are when I was 25, 26, that was who was drawn to me. People who were right there on the edge of jumping off the Christianity cliff or questioning this or that. Yeah, getting unplugged from the matrix. They would always yeah. sort of gravitate to me and I'd be the one that was moving like like a rogue ninja through the real world and it would give them confidence that, oh man, you can exist outside of these confines. And um, and that's what it sounds like. You're the kind of person, the kind of yeah. person that you are. So you've got to get around you know, uh, environment so that you will encounter those kind of people. And, you know. and that's what Mark was to me when I was a kid. 
uh, you know, it, it definitely happened, but I do want to, to explain this piece. And this is, if you choose to stay where you are, um, we, we have a saying here where it's, it, it's something along the lines of like your, uh, your rights or your freedoms or whatever end where someone else's begins. And so I want to apply that to your, the energy that you put off, you know, and the knowledge and stuff like that you have. And when you have a certain or a, a heightened amount of knowledge, I think that that equates to power and to move there to, to connect that with a Spider-Man with great power yeah. comes great responsibility. And I think that when you have that kind of awareness it's on you to understand when you've got to either tone it, like shut it down tight, like a little bit or double down. And, and that's going to be a, a, a tough kind of struggle, at least for you that, you know, Mark and I, it, it was always fun because on some levels, me and him will think alike on certain things, but Mark, you would always say somehow I was able to make it in Bowling Green, you know, in, in this area and somehow find a way to, and I'm doing my air quotes, like win, but it's because there were certain times where I kind of had to switch and, you know, I guess turn it off and play the game just a little bit. And, and what I've learned mm -hmm. is that I actually learn, I learn even more when I get in, when I, when I play along with the Pete, with everyone sure. else, when I, when I jump in that game. And I think that you might actually find that it's it's rewarding to jump in to to meet people where they are as opposed to having other people meet you where you are and you know and and again there is something scary about being made vulnerable like some people don't realize that they that there's stuff wrong or that there's something that they need to be thinking about and when someone comes at them and says like hey did, maybe you're thinking about this because of X, Y, and Z. They're like, fuck, I just wanted to smoke weed and drink some beer with you or something like that. Like, well, it, why that's the United States of America, man. That's, yeah. that's the United States in general. It's just, it's hard. It's a I, difficult fucking thing to simultaneously be your biggest cheerleader yes. and your harshest critic. And, um, being able to, yes, that's, thank you, Mark. That's a good one to send there. Um, you know, if you can hone that skill, um, I think that that is going to really put you in a position where you can thrive in a big area where you can be the, you know, big fit or where you can thrive in a small area where you can be the big fish in a small pond, or you can, you know, go to a, a, a massive area or something like that and be just another person. Uh, it, when you develop that skill, you can thrive in either environment. Well, and, and I will say one thing I have, I feel like at a relatively early age, I have found glimpses of self-actualization, glimpses of peace in having a means to provide for my basic needs, mm -hmm. have enough to put a little bit back just in case, and then also be able to either ease the suffering of other people yes. or facilitate the success of other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that simple recipe applied to any number of vocations. And especially if you've got an aptitude, it's lightweight, your responsibility to chip in, you know, mm -hmm. it is lightweight, yeah, yeah. your responsibility to pay that shit forward. You know, it, do it, 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 it doesn't need to just die with you. You know what I'm saying? I get it. I, d I definitely do. I feel like 
I'm at maybe it's maturity. Um, I feel like the level that I'm at right now is I'm just beginning to understand, you know, because ego is a tricky thing where it sort of convinces you that your rationale is is just. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like in the sense that, like, let me let me try to think of an example. Um, so the person that I'm staying with just now, um, like. I was mentioning before, like, um, when you have an encounter a person who's like sort of obsessive compulsive, the person I'm staying with right now is sort of that mentality where it's like, he feels like if he's not moving or he's not like contributing to something, he's not productive. And if he's not productive, then there's like almost for him, no purpose in, mm-hmm. in, in existing. And so in a situation like that, and we, when we try to have like transparent conversations, it can feel that. I feel like I'm right. And he also, he feels, um, like he's right. And so having that conversation today we had where I felt like I was like, you know, you're okay the way you are and I accept you the way you are. And and I recognize the responsibility that that confers on me. Um, um, let me give the parameters so it makes more sense. So I, like I have my two children, he invited me up here, um, for the summer during COVID. Um, his idea was the pretense that um, he was going to be able to help, like help me with the children, you know, and I'd be able to help him up here on his farm. Um, And I feel like I'm doing my part, but it's so hard for him to just be present, like with me, like that, that children require, you know, I have a, I have a seven year old and I have a nine year old. And because we've been doing home-based learning, there's a certain amount of presence that's required to sort of encourage them to, meet the demands of their teachers, um, for the rest of the school year. Um, and so like a issue for us has been, um, I'm sort of like controlling the home-based learning because I feel like I've developed an intuition about, um, about how my children learn. Um, and our discussion today was sort of like his obsessive compulsiveness sort of interferes with his ability to sort of help in that sphere. Um, and now, does he have a diagnosis? Do you know? No, he, he doesn't have an, a diagnosis. This is over like five years of knowing him. And it's just like tendencies. Like it might meet some DSM criteria potentially. Right. It's like he has a headphone in his ear cause he needs to be listening to the news when he's outside having a campfire with other people. It's like, is he a oh, Gemini? He was born in August, so I. Don't know. Uh, he's one of the one of the. Good, I don't know right, what Mark? that is. I don't, he's Mark, a Virgo. What is it? I think he's a Virgo. August Leo. What is that? Leo mean, or Virgo? Yeah, <laughs> and we won't go into it. It's just curious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just shit in the newspapers, whatever. <laughs> no, just, I didn't throw that at Mark. No worries. <laughs> no, I'm fascinated by it. I, re- I require you to he, take all like, shots. <laughs> take all shots when you can because I'm take I'm taking mine. You guys don't go Look, easy Kalu- on me. Kalu- Kalu- said hey, Hagrid earlier. I just want everybody to know. Hey, he Kalu- had he had maybe sixty more seconds of that Harry Potter shit uh, before I was going in. <laughs> So don't don't put light on me. I was about to do I was a just, drive by. Yo, I, I, was I had to do a drive by on collusion. Yo, dog, I had Chinese talk about food. Hogwarts. <laughs> dog, <laughs> dog, I had I was eating my food, but he had about sixty more seconds. But uh, <laughs> I was gonna light his ass up. 
And then it's like, swan. and then and then and then Iron Man and Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> Damn. Uh, all right, all right, all right. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. No, um, you're fine. You know the one of the. Have you have you taken a time just like what what Chris had said, like everything and nothing? Have you taken time to recognize your your insignificance? Hell yes. Yeah, but that's, yeah. Something, that's something I feel intrinsically. Mm. Um, and I, I, I feel that like that's a theme that sort of repeats on the podcast is this a sense of like recognizing you're connected to everything, but also recognizing your insignificance. <laughs> and I feel that intrinsically. I do. That brings me a lot of peace. Mm-hmm. Um, does but, that connection, does that maybe, could that also be a reason why you... Uh, you know, I don't want to say have that desire to control or whatever. Is is that connection sort of a mix between like, look, we're connected. I've got to help you. Like, like there's a responsibility there as well. Is that kind of something too? I don't know necessarily. I mean, I should say in my romantic relationships, it's felt like a responsibility, mm-hmm. but in like my other, you know, the different other like, um, relationships with people it's not felt like a responsibility as more as 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 much as it's felt like being authentic Mm -hmm. in a sense um as far as like when somebody engages with me on a like in a particular discussion they ask for feedback um i feel like this is what i'm able to offer um yeah. Hmm. Man. It's, a, it's definitely a confusing, a confusing thing, even on my side, because it doesn't feel like there's a clear question there of like what I'm supposed to be doing, what I'm able to do and what my responsibility is to other people. Um, which is why, like I said, I wanted to contact you guys. Yeah. Um, are your are your friendships and relationships just more transactional than relational? Um, hmm. like I I have friends that hit me up for just something and that's it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if I, sometimes I have the awareness where people reach out and it's like they're only hitting me up because something's wrong. You know, like they'll never talk to me or something like that. And and it's like a it's like an exchange of goods. Not that I'm necessarily giving them anything like physically, but maybe just like my company is that exchange of goods. Like the, are, are your hey, Tom, Tom, Tom is Tom is an exchange. It's that's, always that that's, that's yes. it, that, material. We, we should never put a qualifier of, well, I didn't give them anything material because that material thing represents time. Mm-hmm. Why are you it saying took, that though? Kalu? Well, be, do what? Why are you saying that? Why are you describing that your friend sometimes like, what did you say that? No, I was saying like, I was asking if her, Uh she was saying about, she she was talking about like, this is what I have to offer you. And so the connection I want to make is maybe you don't have to offer anything. Like Mm -hmm. why does, why does there have to be something offered to someone? Mm -hmm. I see. Um, I don't feel necessarily that there's anything. I don't, I don't feel like our, my relationships are transactional. I should say that the most, um, 
prominent relationships I have in my life or is with that man I made the contract with. Mm-hmm. Um, probably my sister, um, maybe my mother and my father. They don't feel transactional. Um, and I think that's sort, sort of more, I think when I was younger, it felt very transactional. I felt like I had to bring something to the table in order to feel um, loved. And I think when I became aware of that, I sort of like scaled back on that interaction. And now it's become more of a relational um, interaction, but it doesn't sort of diminish from the same things that, um, or no. So I should say the complaints I got before were more surface level complaints. And, um, and I, and I think uh, the reason I say complaint or that I'm focusing on the complaints that people have about me is because I think, um, they're pretty consistent across the board where people feel like, you know, I'm judgmental or people feel that I'm, um, too harsh as far as like my observations. And I'm definitely willing to grant, um, those things and, and, and examine them, you know, examine myself critically. I don't feel like, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, keep going. Um, I don't feel like my relationships are transactional. I feel like they've definitely matured into a place where there's more of a relational aspect to them. Um, but I take other people's critiques in because I have this this drive, this innate desire. Like the thing that makes me most happy in life, the thing that drives me um, is developing myself, you know, not, not developing my children, not developing my relationships with other people, but understanding that I'm only responsible for myself. You know, Calusa had said in one, I don't remember the name of the podcast, but like, you're only responsible for one person. And I understand that that's me. Like I look at the ways in which my children struggle, specifically my son, who has a really hard time in social scenarios. Um, and it makes me feel sad because I recognize that he's going to suffer, you know, and he's going to struggle because he doesn't understand social cues in a way that would make his way through school much easier. Um, but the way that I sort of alleviate that, that sort of like sense of stress because I feel intrinsically that I understand that like, I'm only responsible for me. My people, my children are going to be people who are going to be the people who they are. Mm. Um, no matter what, um, you're playing the long game. That's a, that's a, that's a tough way to do it. It's fucking hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Cause hard. I'm sure there's opportunity after there, there's moment after moment where you just want to step in and just be like, here, just do this or say this but letting them just sort of do their own thing. It's, it's tough. It's very tough. Yeah. It's definitely the process I'm in now where like I'll spend, you know, 20 minutes with my daughter and 20 minutes with my son a day where we're just getting alone time. Cause I recognize that's so important for a person to just feel like they're so important that one person wants to spend one-on-one time. And it's really hard for me in those scenarios where I'm like, or even when I'm, when it's not that time and I'm stepping back and I'm watching my son interact, my son's got a crush on this, on this girl we met while we're staying up here in New Hampshire right now. Um, and watching him like choose over and over again, like, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this and like not consider the other person's feelings. And, you know, I just want to like 
wrap them in my arms and be like, you really need to think about like what the other person, you know, the other person feels, um, you know, but it's like, you, you, you just can't change. You just can't change the outcome. It's hard. Let me, let me ask you a completely like candid ass question. Sure. It's like absolutely completely candid. Have you ever entertained the notion that you might reside somewhere on the spectrum? That I might be like autistic. Yeah, that you might reside on the spectrum at some point, and not in a pejorative context, in an exceptional context. I hadn't considered it for myself. So I, have, like I said, I have four brothers and four sisters, um, and three of my brothers are on the spectrum, right? Um, one of them is it, or one or two of them are twins, and the third, we're not sure if he has autism. But like, because my mother was really like Roman Catholic, she had a very per- like protective outset uh, or like um, outlook. And she, and we're not sure how much of like his um, like quirkiness is about like only having my autistic brothers as friends um, or how much of that is just like innate in his personality. I've considered that like, uh, like I hadn't considered for myself that I might be on the spectrum, but I have definitely considered, I have a father who's been diagnosed with, um, uh, paranoid schizophrenia. Right. And so I considered that for a while, I actually went to therapy for a while, trying to understand if like this was a part of like, <coughs> it's, uh, imagination or like the, the way in which I was thinking the patterns that I was developing and thinking about and trying to, um, engage with were a form of, um, schizophrenia, um, but never, never autism. Well, and, and it, again, I don't know. Are you familiar with the neurodiversity movement? No. Oh, I might be. I might be. Well, the neurodiversity movement actually has a substantial amount of merit to it. And they are, um, they basically the long and short of it is, is that residing on the spectrum isn't necessarily a disorder. It's a normal variation of human psychology. Um, it's, it's anomalous. It, it doesn't occur. It probably occurs more commonly than we realize, but people just get more adept at playing their role, falling into, falling into social decorum, uh, bowing down. Perhaps some of us that have less of a predisposition towards falling into those norms aren't as adept at um, at concealing things like that. But, yeah, the neurodiversity movement is just like you have people like Jerry Seinfeld, um, a lot of exceptional individuals that have come out and, and been like, yeah, I'm, I'm on the spectrum. And it doesn't mean any one thing you know it, it it's it's like a fingerprint everybody's psychology is entirely different than anybody else's but just the difficulty relating to other people um because e- you're able to see like you can see like and and I, again i don't mean this pejorative do do you see other people's problems sometimes like the ones that you address as like relatively straightforward and like kind of mundane sometimes they're like th- th- this. This I don't. I don't see why this doesn't make sense to you. Yes, definitely. But I don't think that that's. I guess in my experience, I haven't thought of that as something that's um, 
exceptional, you know, from my perspective, I think we tend to be able to like, uh, address other people's problems in a way that's sort of um, detached or sterile from their emotional and like psychological needs. Um, yeah, I guess. Right. Right. And that, and that, and that's the thing is like, it's, it's, it's looking at an illogical situation logically. It's, it's, and, and that's what I do every day. Like i I communicate with individuals and I know that there's no way of, of forcing there's ways of forming, there's ways of influencing, um, consistency, but ultimately it it does come down to the individual to be receptive to the shit. I mean that, and you know that as well as anybody, but, um, meeting people where they're at, as opposed to being like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm handing you your tools on a silver platter. Unfortunately, a lot of people, even if they do have the ability to take those tools and run with them, they don't have the humility to make the acknowledgement. They want to do it on their terms. They're afraid, whatever. And and it's hard because we don't see that. We don't see the insecurities. We don't see the things that 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 cause them anxiety like just and and i'll be i'll be candid again i i i truly believe that you know like i have family members who are on the spectrum they're they're exceptional human beings um one of them is you know super decorated professorial position i mean exceptional human being and she's actually the one that got me hip to the neurodiversity movement but um honest to God, some of my best friends, I I'm thoroughly convinced I'm not a QMHP yet, but I'm thoroughly convinced they're just beautiful manifestations of residing on something a little bit different that that you don't necessarily fall in line with what is considered to be normative human psychology. Um, and, and I'm not saying that that's what's going on on here, but, God damn, I just like to explore every fucking facet because I mean, I, I've thought, I've thought about it for myself. Cause you know, again, I've got, I've got family members. So I, I've had to sit here and think about it for myself, but I think it's more my ability to relate to, to folks that are on the spectrum comes from having interacted with a lot of folks that are on the spectrum. Sure. Mark, what were you going to say? I was going to say it, it isn't, it doesn't sound like anything unusual at all. But you might just probably be a two or five percenter. If you took the Myers Briggs personality test, I, I, I would, you probably just fall in, into the two or five percent personality type categories. I, I find in, I fall into INTJ and they're like two to three percent of the population. And that sounds like you're like super rare, but there's still millions of people just like you. Like all my friends are just like, sound just like you and Kalu and Chris. All of my friends gathered over, you know, 38 years of, be it alive you know yeah. but I'm, I'm saying like it's it's not like it's not unusual just 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 because you have the person a personality makeup that that uh a lot of people who have that personality makeup don't encounter other people very much you know what i mean yeah. they're usually yeah. also a little introverted so it seems like you know you be in the world all alone but it's millions of people like you and me and clue or yeah, people that yeah. are 
that are intellectual or introspective, if you want to call it that. And as a consequence of that, it doesn't foster at the beginning of relationships. It doesn't foster attachment as much as um, the more extroverted, you know. Oh and yeah, agree, and, agree, agreeable people, you know. Well, yeah, and and it you it know? really if you're gonna be functional in yeah. any kind of meaningful capacity, especially like interpersonal interactions, like romantic interactions, somebody that you were serious about, you it's very likely that you'll fall for somebody that you probably are smarter than. It's a possibility, and I say that very broadly. You know, we. Being intelligent is a relative fucking thing, but you have to acknowledge that shit. But where you where you have to meet them is where they're at. And and you're all and you're always going to have to make that fucking acknowledgement from now to the rest of your life. If you do have that extra ability is that you're going to have to meet the rest of everybody else where they're at Mm -hmm. and do the best you can with what they have, not with what you have. And right. that's part of oh, the yeah. power and that's part of the responsibility that I was speaking about um, earlier. But um, I want to go ahead and, and cut it here. I want to be respectful of your time. I, you know, I know you got stuff going on and uh, I certainly do as well. But I want to give you the give you the floor, give you the last minute or so, like make any kind of statement or like let us know what you think. Uh, do you think that this went well for you? <laughs> Would you um, like to come back? Yeah. Would you like to come back? Yeah, I really. Yeah. OK. okay. <laughs> I really enjoyed putting you through the grinder. I mean, it's and and I I know that you had had questions, but I really was hoping that you were going to be the ones to answer them, you know, because that's because I'm about I'm all about you maintaining the driver's seat of your life. You staying as the, the hero of your story. And while it's fine to take advice and stuff from from us and stuff like that, ultimately, this is going to be your life. This is going to be your decisions. And I think that the big thing is, you know, I, I hope that we did a good job with allowing you to sit with yourself and, and not really in yourself, um, really analyzing you as as the the subject, you know, and um, or, or as, as the object. And uh, I think that um, I felt good doing this one, but I want to make sure that you did, too. So I want to let you get a couple words in or anything like that, if you want. Yeah, definitely. I'm like very grateful for you guys taking the time. You know, I don't know, you know, from listening to your podcast, I know you guys are very busy with your families, um, you know, um, I think my final thought Um that's hard it's hard to sum up sort of how i feel about how this conversation conversation went you know it it still feels as though i'm not complete with this like the questions i have and you know it's it's not on you guys it's definitely Mm -hmm. on me because i'm not clear on the questions that i have like i i went to clue but uh in my instagram post that i was asking myself questions, you know, I'm about to embark on this, like I'm leaving this five-year arrangement. Mm -hmm. I'm leaving this three and a half year um, romantic relationship. And I'm about to, you know, embark on single parenthood and a career and figure out the direction of the life of the life that I want, you know, which looks something like, as far as I know it now, it looks something like, I want to be mobile with my children. I don't know if you guys are familiar with like van life 
Yep. I, I'm sure you guys are. I'm sure you guys yep. are. But I like I think that because part of me is this super spontaneous person that Mark and I were sort of like agreeing on that um like we we have this sort of spirit that sort of craves um novel experiences. Um I still feel like I'm I'm juggling, you know, with these questions, but I, I definitely appreciate um you guys' feedback. I would definitely love to be back. Uh, yeah. And yeah. you know, yeah. dive into these things. I, I feel like I, I'm a person like I have a really hard time finding a positive or a really effective therapist because mm-hmm. I'm willing to be so honest and so like transparent about my life experiences. I feel like it's hard to find a person who's willing or, or, or who can or is capable of engaging with you on oh, a degree yeah. that that's um yeah genuine genuine and like that you can tell they get it uh-huh. exactly i felt my last therapist i left because um she was trying to push me on you know are you afraid of stepping into the next part or next phase of your life you know is that why you're not finished with your degree is that why you're not doing these things yeah. and it, like i was willing to say to her no you know that's not the reason like mm-hmm. the reason is something you know more like prescient than that and trying to articulate to that to her but she was so stuck on this idea that it was like i was afraid of moving into the next stage of my life so i ended up leaving that practice mm-hmm. because it felt like she was trying to feed me these sort of you know psychological cliches about like why it was i why it wasn't where i wanted to be like a little printout she got off the internet that yep. she was exactly. gonna try, try out on yeah. your ass Look, yeah. again, I work in community mental health. You, you, I understand how it works, but um, I, I really appreciate you coming on. And I think we would be doing you, um, our listeners, and your your situation, everything, an enormous disservice if we even thought that we could unpack all of this yeah. in, one, in yeah. one episode. Right. So really, this is just um, us familiarizing ourselves with sure. one another Definitely. and then the next the next turnaround let's let's get our hands dirty let's let's yep. talk about like the actual practical elements of like okay what are what are the steps you're going to take where do you want to be in one year that kind of shit sure yeah i think this is this is i'm this is just the setup truthfully that's what this is i wanted to um you know when you had sent the message to to our uh instagram and you you know, you put your number there. The normal thing would have been to reach out and get a feel and sort of screen you. But I was yeah. like, nah, fuck that. Let's, uh, let's just, <laughs> I don't know how oh, to respond shut the fuck to that. Up. I got to turn off Siri. I'm sorry. But we've got to, <laughs> that scared the hell out of me. But, uh, you know, there's, Shit. this is like, this is the setup here and we're just, we're, we're going to put this whole, we're going to put everything through the grinder and, and I no like script. this talk. Because, <laughs> yeah. No script. Yeah, there's no script. And and I like this talk because I think we're all even learning about ourselves. And so like it's just I always like to think that the real or the super or the really good therapist, in my opinion, would be the person that's also a bit of a philosopher. Yeah. And can we can 
talk about different theories. I, I did not wake up this morning thinking I was going to be talking about Immanuel Kant. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of cool that, that we, we touched on so many different things here, but I want to still be able to maintain that energy for our next conversation with you. And right. so you just reach out and you let us know whenever there's time and we'll try and get something scheduled. We'll, we'll get ourselves. Yeah. Off. Let's, Let's we'll follow up in a couple of weeks or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can follow up in a couple of weeks if you do. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I'm more in the time of COVID, so. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> All we got is time, time right now. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, but if you could, you know, let people know about what we're doing. Um, I think it's it'd be it'd be great to do that. We we certainly want to spread the word and, and get people out there and have more people having conversations like this. Um, one of the things that I've certainly noticed is when I've had FYFT episodes, people will chime in or message us and just be like, man, I, I'm going through the same type of thing yeah. and being able to just create this kind of um, this chain reaction of, of vulnerability and turning that into like something awesome, you know, um, <laughs> I, I just I just want I, I can't thank you enough for even reaching out. And, and I hope that this does continue and turn into something even more. I, I love where we're going with this. And uh, I'm, I'm just thankful for you. I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm really glad that I found you guys like when I did. Um, so like I grew up in a like my mom is white. You know, I grew up in like this Irish American French Canadian household you know and it didn't have much to do with like my african-american roots and it's been more of an exp like an exploration that i've done in the past five years or so and you know not to like racialize but racialize this but like i've listened to a lot of podcasts and just to have like this like you know i'm not gonna you know get ready to be gassed up but like to have this level of like insight and like um introspection it's just been like a huge breath of fresh air and to have it coming from like black men means the world to me i can't express that like to to like i know it, means it, a lot. it, it does it really it, like I, I can't express it in a way that sort of like makes sense mm -hmm. and like like articulating it um but it really means a whole fucking lot well it's part of who you are like yeah. it's it's a big part of who you are that you know we we talk a lot about african americans in general being stripped of their identity well you were stripped of your identity twice half right. of your identity twice mm -hmm. so it's something you, you you long for and it's natural mm -hmm. yeah definitely definitely i can remember you know being a kid and really like craving this you know uh, and now yeah. coming to be what it is in the time of covid just like accidentally typing into google like the Google podcast, um, what did I type in? Fault tolerance systems. You know, I heard a little bit about that on YouTube and then was just like looking it up and then finding you guys was just astounding. <laughs> <laughs> Were you trying to like build a server or some shit like that? Why no, does anyone look up fault tolerance systems? <laughs> I felt like it was something you could apply on top of like your own life, like understanding how oh, man. You, That's like, awesome. experience That's the, shitty. That's what the episode was about, yeah. Right. And so when I heard that, I was like, I'm fucking on this shit, you know, <laughs> I go for like a two hour walk every morning over like the past two weeks. Cause it was just like my me time before I had to like go back and, and do the kids schooling. And I would like, listen to you guys. And I was just like, you guys fucking 
They rock. They're awesome. They need more females on their show. And I'm one. Yes, that's true. That's true. (laughs) And we need to be we need to be checked every once in a while because we get out of pocket for real. But yeah. Um, but we're willing to be wrong and we're willing to walk shit back and do what the, I guess the next right thing. So right. you guys should all be philosophers because you're the best at it. <laughs> well, that means a lot. We really, really appreciate does. you. Thank yeah. you so much. Definitely. Now you enjoy the rest of the weekend. I'm going to probably air this one. I might air this one. Like, um, I might do it tomorrow. I might do yeah, it. Yeah, fuck uh, it. No, no, release this shit Saturday, man. All right, like, fair enough. That'd be good. Yeah, release I'll it. Do it. Re- <laughs> all right. Yeah, get, give people the weekend uh, to chew on it. Yeah, because yeah. we're gonna we're gonna come with some stuff on on Sunday. It's definitely gonna be a it's gonna be a good episode. Sunday. Um, so and- I'm wanting to um, I'm wanting to call. You know, a lot of well, I've been getting calls, and it's it's been really interesting seeing how much the the current events have just gotten it's got something has happened to get white people to listen and i don't know if it's because of covid also taking a place and it's because it's an election year and it's because of all this other stuff but people have been asking like what can i do i've had friends call me to apologize i've had friends just all sorts of stuff and so i'm wanting to call this next episode um either with great power or with great privilege and it's it, again it's that play on spider-man comes great responsibility right. and i'm wanting to it's going to be a call to action to anyone with any type of privilege to essentially recognize that you're we're all part of a whole and when one person's hurting it should hurt us too yeah. and so it's going to be you know they've asked what can we do and we're going to try and come up with with ways to to help and ways to be effective so we can, you know, get some kind of some kind of progress going. So I, I'm very excited about that episode, but I'm even excited about this one. It's just there's so much good stuff that's that's, you know, happening for this podcast. And it's, um, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I'm just I'm excited. You're, I'm excited. You're, you're a saloonist now. So that's that's yeah. kind of Kalu's one yep. part of Kalu's uh, model for this was to bring people in all over the world and like have threads, you know? So yes. I don't know how you plan to format it in, in on your post clue, but it was cool mm-hmm. that you have a FYFT for Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you'll have, you know, FYFT Taylor too. FYFT Taylor <laughs> too. Like he, we'll have our own thread, mm-hmm. you know, and it'll be from Dania's perspective. Yeah. Don't you yeah. think? Yep. Yeah, I think that'd be. I think that'd be really cool. Yep, that's that's actually the plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Episodes one's going to be called the setup, you know, and uh, so yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to this. So thank you so much. Have a great night. Have an awesome week. Be safe out there. Take care of yourselves and 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 just do something great. Please, please do something great. Be thinking, and uh, I can't wait to to record again with you. Okay. Also, be careful. COVID is still out. Like, numbers is up because y'all are being reckless. So, cover (laughs) your face. Cover your face and be responsible. It's not about a conspiracy. It's about taking reasonable precautions so old people don't die. Yeah. Yeah. It's great great talking to you and looking forward to talking to you again. Yes. All right. You take care and we are out. Peace. Bye. Bye.